Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. All I ever wanted was a little love. I want Hello and welcome to True Romance. Uh, this is Devin Leary and I am not with Carolina Barlow, um, but I am with a very special guest that I'm really excited to bring to the pod. She has gotten me through some tough times personally and she's about to blow everyone's minds with her expert input. Uh, please welcome sex and relationship therapist, Carly Rappaport. Hi, thanks for having me, Devin. Welcome. Have you ever done a podcast before? Yes, but probably not one of this uh, caliber. Oh, okay. Well, it's, <laughs> it's very low cal, honestly. Well, thanks for joining us. I personally don't need any advice when it comes to dating and relationships at all. Um, but some of our <laughs> listeners had some questions uh, one of them being, what do you think my ex-boyfriend is thinking right now? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, okay. So I wanted to ask you sort of in two different categories, some questions, some about sex, some about relationships, some about both. Sure. Let's do it. Um, the first question I have is for women who can't have an orgasm, which was me until I was like 22 or 23 years old. Do you have any advice? Is it mental or is it physical? I remember thinking, am I just like physically incapable of this? Or like, mm-hmm. should I go on medication for this or something? So I wondered if you had any thoughts or advice on that. Sure. Yeah, that's a really good question. There's two places where my mind goes. One is that if someone's really having trouble having an orgasm, it makes me think that they might just have not had access to the most helpful information about this. Um, I think if you watch pretty much like any sex scene in any movie Mm -hmm. ever (laughs) or TV show ever, it looks like it should be easy to have an orgasm, especially for women having, you know, penetrative penis and vagina sex. 
when the reality is, I think it's something as much as 75% or more of women can't have an orgasm from penetrative sex alone. They need some sort of clitoral stimulation in order to have an orgasm. But you would never know that based on, you know, all the media that we consume. There's also, you know, every person is different in terms of what's going to feel like too much sensation and what's going to be, you know, some people prefer to even not have their clitoris be touched directly. They need it to be over their underwear or over their clothes. Mm -hmm. Um, Like direct stimulation is too much and it's not going to, you know, result in, in an orgasm. So there's just, you know, I think we don't really get very much guidance on how to figure out our own bodies and, you know, what, what's going to help us have an orgasm or not. So that's what one, you know, one thing makes me think, okay, maybe there's, if someone's struggling with this, maybe they're, they don't have access to the right helpful information. Other thing that I think of is that a really common problem people have is that they get distracted. Mm. Um, like they have distracting thoughts during a sexual experience. There's something called spectatoring where you almost feel like you're outside of your body, like watching yourself have this experience. You think you're so caught up in thoughts about well, what is this person thinking of me right now? Does my stomach look bad from this mm. position? And, <laughs> um, and basically any of those distracting thoughts are going to take you out of the moment and it's going to be hard, harder to have an orgasm. So it's almost like a, a mindfulness meditation exercise to just focus on the pleasurable sensations and kind of let these thoughts come and go. So that's not so much physical it's more mental, but Um, but yeah, that's where my mind goes are those two common struggles. I definitely had both of those because I remember like the first few times I had sex being like, wait, why is, I don't literally feel anything from this. Like, cause I didn't know anything about clitoral stimulation. And then even when I did, I was like, how do I, like, it's too much. It's this, it's just, there's no information. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's more now, I think. Yeah. There's a, there's a really great website called OMG. Yes. That's literally just hundreds of videos of women talking about how they can have an orgasm. So you get to really see sort of the spectrum of how, you know, everyone's different and you kind of have to do your own exploration to figure out how can I get there and then communicate to your Mm. partner how to get you there. Yeah. The communication part is hard too, because I feel like it feels then suddenly like, or I felt like when I was asking my partner to like work on it with me, um, at the time it felt like so much pressure to be like, okay, we're going to try to like make this happen, but mm-hmm. I had to just do it. And like, and it really changed my life obviously, but yeah, it's hard to communicate that. Um, especially when you're still like figuring out what it is exactly you like. Mm-hmm. So next question, do you have any tips for men about lasting longer during sex? Definitely. This is probably going to be a theme in my answers to your questions about sort of using mindfulness as a tool to make sex better. If you can get really, you know, if you can really practice paying attention to the sensations in your body, that can be a really helpful tool to recognize like when you need to slow down Mm -hmm. or pause or take a break when you feel like you're getting kind of close to the point of no return. So that can be really helpful. There can be certain positions that can be less stimulating. Mm-hmm. Um, so playing around with that. Sometimes even if someone prefers to last, you know, 
prefers to last longer. Even using condoms can be helpful to mm-hmm. sort of create a different sensation. So there's lots of different tips and tricks that one can use. But if you aren't really in tune with your body, you're going to have a hard time because you're going to be like blasting through that point of no return. So it's basically like being present is the key to good sex forever. Yeah, totally. It's a good summary. And what are your tips for like getting present before, like grounding yourself before sex or like during? I think that being present is something that you can practice throughout your day. I mean, you can take a shower. Think about sometimes when you're in the shower and you're like, oh, I didn't even, I just like put shampoo in my hair twice Mm -hmm. because I was just thinking my mind was somewhere else. I was thinking so hard about my first meeting of the day or something. I mean, you can, you can take a shower mindfully and really just focus on that, the sensation of the water and the smell of the shampoo and the feeling of it, your fingers in your hair. Like you can, you can practice that throughout your day in a lot of different ways. And then it kind of, the more you practice, the more that you, you're like working out that muscle. Mm. I'm like, I'm trying to remember the last time I was actually feeling in my body and not completely in my head. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Um, for men, is blue ball, and it's also for women or partners of men, is, is blue balls really a thing? So I find this topic to be really interesting I think that there's a there's sort of this myth about blue balls that gets perpetuated in our you know in society that you know if a man is turned on but then the woman doesn't want to have penetrative sex or doesn't want to you know give do something that will give him an orgasm then then that that's going to be painful like physically mm-hmm. painful for the guy so I think this the idea of blue balls gets kind of used to end up coercing partners into something that they don't really want to do because you know you don't how could you let me be in pain right from what i hear from male clients like some guys not every guy but some guys do sort of experience from like a prolonged arousal but we're talking like you know a long time like maybe a couple hours of like watching porn or something and not having an orgasm that that can kind of create some pain like a painful sensation in their you know, growing or their stomach. Um, but from my understanding of talking to people about it, it's not, you know, if you're making out for five minutes and you don't give your partner an orgasm, that, that that's not really how it works. Okay. What is the difference between sex addiction and porn addiction? Because from the little that I know about porn addiction, which is just like basically like what the media has like represented it as, it feels like it's just like an addiction that the same thing as an addiction to sex, but is it different? Yeah, this is a really, this is an interesting question. Um, it's kind of a loaded one, TBH, oh. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> I'm happy to, I'm happy to talk about it. So I, um, so just a little bit of a backstory. I'm, I'm a certified sex therapist um, and I'm a marriage and family therapist. So started out working a lot with couples with sort of general sexual um, concerns. But over time, I've really focused my practice on working a lot more with individual men who are wondering if they're quote unquote sex addicts mm-hmm. um, or, or struggling with, with sex addiction or porn addiction. But I don't come from the sex addiction model. Um, so we, you know, I, I believe these men are really struggling and that they're, it's a, you know, that 
these behaviors are really wreaking havoc in their lives, like causing a lot of problems in their relationships. But I don't necessarily use the term sex addiction or porn addiction. Okay. But it sounds like what you're asking me is like if if someone is having, you know, if they're if they're feeling addicted to porn, Mm -hmm. does that mean that they're also going to have that same struggle with other sexual behaviors? Is that sort of the question? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it really depends on on each person. Um, I've I've worked with people who, you know, they're they're feeling conflicted about their porn use for one reason or another. You know, maybe they don't like that they spend so much time doing it or they feel really conflicted about the content that they're watching or they're maybe they and their partner have a disagreement about, you know, if maybe their partner doesn't want them to be watching porn or something like that. And for some people, it's, you know, that is their only concern is about the, their porn use. Um, and it doesn't mean that they're going to have other issues with, like, sex outside the marriage or, or infidelity or something mm-hmm. like that. And then I've known, you know, other folks who've had struggles with sex outside of their relationship. They're, maybe they're paying for sex and they're feeling really out of control in, you know, in these other behaviors, they can't, they're, they're struggling to, to rein those in, but porn is, is less of a concern or not even a concern for them. So I kind of think about it as like the, the behaviors can be really isolated or individualized. They're not, I think there's this worry that looking at porn or misusing porn, that that's going to like cause you to go down some spiral or some Mm -hmm. rabbit hole where then you are you know, engaging in infidelity or something. And in my experience with working with these clients, that's not the case. Yeah, it's like it's still taboo somehow or like feels like you're doing something wrong watching it. Or maybe that's just me. (laughs) But um, (laughs) that actually connects to another question, which is I wanted to ask you about masturbation in partnered sex. Like, is it normal to masturbate a lot while you're also having sex with your part like i think some people feel concerned about if their partner masturbating will like take away from yeah their partner sex yeah totally this is a really common thing that comes up in my work both when i work with you know more with couples or with with individuals um is this idea of like is there sort of like a correct or like a right balance between um what i call solo sex or partnered sex and People, this is like a very controversial topic. I think people have a lot of opinions about this. The sort of my takeaway from, you know, being a sex therapist, working with a lot of people is that, you know, people can enjoy solo sex and partnered sex for different reasons. And a lot of people enjoy both. Um, so when they get into a relationship, if they're having really exciting, pleasurable sex with their new partner, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to stop masturbating mm. right like that's a different kind of pleasure that they might they, and maybe they're doing less of it but they might still be enjoying it obviously you know people have different values around this and different beliefs of what they you know and so each couple can kind of decide what what their expectations are i think trouble can arise when couples don't talk about it mm. and maybe they have totally different assumptions like oh i thought since we're together, that my partner's not masturbating at all. And then you come to find out that's, you know, you guys were had your wires crossed or something that I see that situation happening a lot. Um, 
I also see where sometimes it can be hard for people to understand why their partner would want to masturbate if, if you know, mm. if they could have sex with them. Um, and certainly it can be, you know, if, if, if a couple's having trouble with sex, like maybe they're not having very much of it or, um, and then you find out that your partner is engaging in a lot of solo sex, like certainly we can understand that that would be, that could be hurtful for a person. So, you know, I think as long as it's, I, th- I think that's sort of a good metric to use is like, is the solo sex taking away from partnered sex? Sometimes that can be the case, but not always. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really up to each couple to just sort of decide what, what their agreements are around it. I want true Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Do you think there's a normal amount of sex for a couple to be having? That's something that I've asked myself in every relationship I've ever been <laughs> There are, I mean, there are sort of like stats out there on like what the average is. I think this, the statistic that I know is particularly with like married couples, but I really don't think it's, I really don't think that there's like a normal because in my experience, like every person, every couple is going to be different. Um, But I think people can get really hung up on what's normal like they might feel like something's wrong with them if they're having too much or not enough and it's really at the end of the day it's like what's what works for you what works for you as a couple 
Um, but yeah, the, if you if you want to know the average, <laughs> the average for married couples is like once a week. Interesting. Do you think that it's possible for any couple to find a middle ground with sexual compatibility? Or do you think there's people who it's just like you will never match up, even if you have good um, other aspects of your relationship? Yeah, I think when couples run into some sort of issue in their sex life, they often feel really like unprepared for how to navigate it. Because, you know, if we're lucky, we get sex education on how to not get an STI or how to mm-hmm. not get, have an unplanned pregnancy. But I mean, we're like no one ever teaches you, you know, what to do if you if you find yourself in a situation where, um, you know, your partner is wanting more sex than you do or vice versa, mm-hmm. or one of you is struggling with like sexual functioning or, or one of you is really interested in this kink and the other person has no interest in it. Right. Like we're just, so sometimes people feel really unprepared for how to navigate that. And I think there are oftentimes like a lot of there are options for learning how to navigate it, like going to sex therapy, you know, learning, learning how to work on things. Um, but at the end of the day, I do think sometimes, you know, there are situations where like, let's say someone, let's say you're, you know, with the situation I just mentioned where one person has this interest in a kink, Mm -hmm. the other person has no interest in it. And they also have different values around, having some sort of an agreement where the person can explore kink in a different, you know, with a different outlet. Mm. Um, you know, you can, you can see how that might get, that might just be un, sort of unrealistic at the end of the day. If there's, there's nowhere for this person to explore the kink, well, the kink's not going anywhere. Yeah. Well, sort of off that, um, what is your advice to women who feel self-conscious by what, I mean, I think this could go for women or men, but for, I guess, people who feel self-conscious by what turns them on, like they're, they still have a lot of shame around whatever their kink might be or their turn-ons might be. Yeah, that's a really, that's a big question. Something I see a lot in my work and I definitely think working with like a sex knowledgeable therapist can be really helpful to learn how to kind of process some of that shame and and let go of it and and untangle it. But also just sort of, there's a lot of really sex positive communities that Mm -hmm. people can join and be part of and learn more about their interests and be with other people. I think knowing that you're not alone is is a really powerful antidote to shame. Mm -hmm. So that's what I would say. Yeah, I think like, I think that's why we were, previously talking about the, the app field on, um, on iPhone actually is where you can find it. Um, <laughs> no, but I think field is good because it's like, it has a category where people list the different like kinks or things that they're into. And I just think seeing that when you're swiping through, like people just listing, like I'm into threesomes or like I'm into watching yeah. or whatever. It's like, Oh, people can just be open about what they're into and they're normal people, you know, I mean, of course they're normal, but it's like, there's all these people in the world who are also interested in the same thing as me. And even if you're, if you don't want to like go on dates with them, it's just like helpful to know that people are like open about that. Totally. Yeah. This is something that I was curious about because I struggle with it. This stereotype that men have a higher sex drive 
than women. I feel like in movies and TV and also sometimes with like my friends who are in male female relationships, like it's always like, oh, my husband wants to have sex with me all the time. (laughs) Whereas like, I feel like I'm usually the one in my relationships who wants to have sex more. And so it makes me feel self-conscious that I'm like, oh, should I not be the one who wants to have sex more? Like, shouldn't they want to do that? Shouldn't I be fighting my husband off at any given moment? (laughs) Yeah, I think that men's sexuality is like a bigger spectrum. There's a lot more variation than than is represented in media. So I think that idea that men are these like horn dogs that want it all the time is really perpetuated. Um, And then understandably can be like confusing if you're, you know, if you're a woman in a hetero relationship with a man who's not acting like the men that you've seen your whole life, Mm -hmm. you know, then understandably. They're not acting like Kevin James and King of Queens. (laughs) Right. Right. So then understandably it's a little, it's confusing, right? Yeah. Um, So yeah, I don't, I, I think that there is more of a spectrum amongst men and there's more variation in terms of like some people might experience what we call more spontaneous desire Mm. where like you're just going about your day and then there's some sort of external stimuli that like you just like spontaneously kind of like get in the mood for sex Mm. right and you like run home and initiate with your partner but there's another type of desire called responsive desire where it means that you need to already be Mm. in a sexual context to then have your body respond with desire. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's both of those are normal, but if you're someone who has more responsive desire, it can be tricky because if you're just like waiting around till you get in the mood to initiate, then you're going to be waiting forever (laughs) because you have to, you have to make a choice to put yourself in a sexual context Mm -hmm. to then give your body a chance to respond. So that might mean like, you know, agreeing to like, or like, let's, Hey, let's make out and see yeah. you know, if we get in the mood or something. And so I've worked with a lot of men who've had, who've identified as having more responsive desire. So it doesn't mean that they're less interested in sex. It just might look really different mm. than someone who experiences more spontaneous desire. So it was spontaneous versus responsive. responsive. Yeah. And that's from a really great book called come as you are by Emily Nagoski highly recommend that to any listeners it's written for women but i've also recommended it to men because as she talks about in the book these are things that every person might experience yeah it makes me think of i also watched this i wish i remembered the name exactly on on netflix goop had like a sex and love Mm -hmm. series docuseries on netflix and they had different couples come on and talk about what their personal um sex issues were and one couple was experiencing what you're describing where the i think it was the female and the couple like she would get frustrated because she would be doing dishes or like organizing stuff and her husband would like initiate sex and she was like what are you doing like i don't feel like that and then he preferred more like spontaneous Mm -hmm. and so they worked through different ways to because yeah for her it was like she had to get in the mood and get like set up and really start right, to feel right. like yeah. the dishes probably wasn't you know a sexy context yeah for her. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so that's interesting yeah and i Can think I that's probably common personal am i allowed to ask you personal yeah please in your experience being the one who's initiating sex more in your relationships yeah. is that always because you are spontaneously turned on or are there other reasons that you might initiate sex like wanting to go um, closer to your partner or something like that. 
I think it's both. I think I'm a spontaneous desire person. Um, like I can be, well, actually, I don't know if this is spontaneous desire, but it's like, I can be like out to dinner with someone. And if they like touch my leg, I can be like completely turned on. Like, Mm -hmm. and definitely like watching stuff with people, like, you know, like watching stuff with people (laughs) really turns me on. No, but it's like, if I'm watching a TV show, it's like, I can get really easily turned on and then I want to initiate. But I also think I often, I think I often have like, an obsession that like the amount of sex we're having defines whether or not like Mm. our relationship is good or working or like my value in the relationship comes from like how much this person enjoys sex with me or something, which is something I'm working through. But so I think sometimes I initiate because of that, because I'm like, well, I want to make sure this person is still attracted to me or like, that, that we're doing well and we're having enough sex and everything's okay, you know, like that. Right, kind of thing. right, totally, yeah. Yeah, I think that's really common. That there are, sometimes there are these, like, other reasons people might initiate that actually don't have, you know, doesn't have to do with whether or not they are actually, like, turned on or, or horny in that moment. Mm-hmm. Not that there's, not that those are, you know, incorrect reasons to initiate sex, but it is sort of interesting, like, if, the, if those... If you were to really just sort of compare your like actual levels of desire, are you mm-hmm. more, are you more, you know, matched? Yeah, I definitely think I've enjoyed different levels of pleasure when it's like, okay, we're going to plan a sexual experience together. That's like incorporating all these different new things and like just focusing like and taking your time. And that definitely, I think, leads to, for me an increased pleasurable experience as opposed to just like initiating because I like feel turned on. Okay, we did it, you know, like. Right. So, yeah. Now we're going to move on more to relationships. (laughs) And I don't know who could have possibly written this question, but someone out there wanted to ask you what your best breakup advice is. For anyone who might be going through a breakup, it could be anyone. No idea who this came from. (laughs) My best breakup advice this sounds like so I really hate when people say like all the feels or all the feelings. <laughs> yeah. But in this context, I'm going to use it. I think you just need to feel all your feelings. Mm-hmm. Cause I think sometimes when you put a value judgment on like, Oh, I shouldn't care so much about this or mm-hmm. I should be, I should be moved on by now or whatever. Like you're just pushing those feelings down. And you're going to be stuck in them longer mm-hmm. as opposed to just like totally allowing yourself to feel whatever you're feeling that, it might seem like really intense, but you're, it's like in the long run, it's, it's going to be better for you. So that's, that's one thing that comes to mind. I mean, think if I could, if I think of anything else, yeah, it's been working for you so far. Well, I think it's interesting because yesterday I actually had a day where I like, I've been going back and forth between taking opposite action, which has been really helpful, which I've said on the podcast, like this morning and other mornings, it's like I get out of bed and make myself walk to the coffee shop to get coffee so that I don't just like stay in bed all morning. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday, I deleted Instagram and Twitter from my phone for about four hours and then I redownloaded, <laughs> but like that was good. But then there's also, on the other hand, like yesterday, I just felt re- I had a real like sadness, depression day because of various like breakup triggers that came up. And so I was just on the couch. Like I talked on the phone to a couple of friends. That's really helpful talking to friends. That's like my main thing I would say. And having people be like, this is normal. You're not crazy. It's okay. Like, this is just how it's going to feel. 
and laughing about it with me and stuff. But yeah, I just kind of was on the couch all day. Eventually, at the end of the day, I went for a walk and then I went to like get takeout and watch TV with a friend. But I did judge myself for that. Like I was like, I laid on the couch all day. There was so much more I could have been doing. And I think it's hard to find a middle ground between like, I'm allowed to be feeling all my feelings right now. Like I feel really sad and I'm just going to feel sad. And also like, okay, but I want to like function and I don't want to like just like give into the feelings and and wallow all day and all that. I have been started. I started reading radical acceptance. That's um, a great one. Yeah. Yeah. Because our friend Haley recommended it. And so I've been trying to just do that since I started reading that yesterday. Um, (laughs) I've been thinking like, okay, like self-pity is coming up. That's interesting. Okay. Like I feel sad. Okay. Got it. Like just noticing my feelings instead Mm -hmm. of judging them because I'm so judgmental of my own feelings. You know what else comes to mind is like kind of just like embracing the things that maybe like the, the parts of yourself that for whatever reason, maybe you weren't as tuned into during the relationship. Like, for mm. example, like, let's say you were dating somebody who, like, really hated dancing and you <laughs> love dancing. Yeah. Like, go go dancing. Like, you mm. know, kind of, like, reclaim those parts of yourself. Um, I, think, I love that. I think that's really helpful, too. I really love that because, yeah, I think that I remember after one breakup, the first time I ordered food for just my... We had been living together... And like the first time I ordered food for just myself, I was like, oh my God, I can get whatever I want. Like, I don't have to be like, so what are you thinking for tonight? Okay, well, I don't really want Mexican again. It's just like, I want this and I'm getting it. Um, So that's helpful because it is, I mean, it is nice to have like my own schedule to myself and not have to think about anyone else and to, to embrace the things that my ex wasn't into, which I guess includes me as a person. Um, Okay. After the limerence phase, which limerence, from what I understand it, is like the honeymoon phase. It's like when you're you're biologically and chemically drawn to each other. Mm-hmm. And then once that fades, what do you think defines if a couple can make it? Because it, it seems to me like it's like, or in my experience, what it's been like is there's this intense honeymoon phase. We're really into each other. There's chemistry. And then it's like, okay, is this really going to work or not fundamentally? Like, mm-hmm. and sometimes it does for a couple of years, sometimes it doesn't. But do you have any thoughts on like, what is, what are the core requirements? For yeah, yeah, totally. This makes me think of the Gottman's work. Uh, John Gottman and Julie Gottman are couples therapists and researchers who've done like a ton of research on like what actually helps couples stay together and be sort of successful in the long term. I think one that's super important is your ability to repair after an argument. Mm-hmm. Like if you, if you have an argument, first of all, are you, how do you handle conflict? You know, do you say really hurtful things to each other? Do you ice each other out? You know, like those, mm-hmm. those things are, are, you know, can be really damaging over time. It's so it's, it's like fighting itself, I think is actually a good thing in relationships because you're not bottling things up. You're letting things, you know, you're communicating, you're letting each other know what bothers you. Like that can all be really helpful, but it definitely matters like how you communicate those things mm-hmm. that it can be harmful ways. Um, so how you fight and then how you repair from fights. Like, are you able to come back together and feel 
like you're both hearing each other out. Like, is there some sort of repair or does it get resolved? Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas like some, sometimes that stuff, you know, sometimes people aren't repairing and then it's just kind of, it's not going away. It's just festering, you know, until the next argument. Um, So those are big ones I would say. And then I guess the other thing that comes to mind is like shared values. Like, you know, after sort of the honeymoon limerence wears off, like, do you have shared visions for what your life is going to look like? Do you Mm -hmm. have the same values around the kind of people you want to be, how you want to move through the world? And because I think sometimes there can be these sort of maybe different values, but that's when you're, you know, when you're super infatuated with someone in the beginning you're like that's fine that'll yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> we'll be able to kind of overlook that um and then once the shiny newness wears off that might be a bigger issue yeah i want true romance hacks is back for season three and so is the official hacks podcast in each episode hacks creators lucia and yellow paul w downs and jen statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the emmy-winning comedy series you'll hear hannah einbinder and gene smart speak to their on-screen dynamic along with hacks writer and actor pat regan on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors you'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that deborah and ava inhabit hear stories from the show's writer's room on-set antics and more watch hacks streaming exclusively on max and listen to the official hacks podcast on max or wherever you get your podcasts this is it your moment this is your time to make your comeback with purdue global when you come back with a purdue global degree you create opportunity for yourself your family and your future it's a degree you can be proud of a degree that employers will trust and respect Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. What would be the red flags that you would look for early on in a relationship or what would you recommend people look for or steer clear of if, yeah. if they're seeking like a long-term partner? Yeah, totally. I could think of a lot. One thing that um, I heard someone say one time, which I thought was really interesting is like, like people might show you who they are fairly early on, but in these like more subtle ways. So if someone is really quick to sort of like dismiss 
your opinion or what you want. Like, let's say you're going on like a second date or something and you're like, you know, I really like this restaurant. And the person just like is like, no, we're not going there Mm -hmm. or something like that. Like those those can be early warning signs that this person, you know, might be, you know, controlling or, or emotionally abusive. I mean, I know that sounds like an exaggeration, but just just paying attention to those, like those little things. I also think this is a really tough one, but there's been a lot of talk lately, like with the West Elm Caleb thing. Did you hear about that? Uh, I feel like I did, but, but remind me. I don't remember. <laughs> it was this like thing that went viral on TikTok about this guy who had dated like a lot of women in New York who all kind of had like a really similar experience with him. So anyways, he oh. got, but it, but it, what came of it was people started talking more about the idea of love bombing. Mm. And that's when someone is like, you know, they're, they're coming on like really strong in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's really hard. Like, obviously when someone's doing that to you, it it's like, feels really, really good. But I do mm-hmm. think that it can be a red flag of yeah. like, but it, I mean, I don't know how helpful that is because it, you know, it's, it's, it's hard when you're in it. It's hard when you're in it. Oh, yeah, okay. totally. I've had a lot of experience with that. And I think it's interesting because, and that there was an article that came out. Um, I forget, I think it was New York times, but I can't quite remember about like how these terms are getting used a lot now of like trauma bonding and like, he's a narcissist and gaslighting. Yeah. yeah. And now that's kind of, um, maybe the, the words have lost their significance because we use them so, um, freely. And I think for me, it's like, yeah, when I hear, I think I've experienced love bombing in my relationships in the sense of like someone immediately being like, I'm in love with you. I'm obsessed with you. You're the best. You're this, or, or like showering with gifts or, um, spontaneous acts of like romance and, and all of that. And then the problem I have is then when someone says like love bombing, I'm like, I picture like malintent, like, right, or right. like the, per- this, oh, so you're saying they're like a bad person or like something's wrong with them. And I don't think that's the case. I think people do genuinely feel those intense feelings in the beginning. And maybe it's more about like just regulating it and realizing if you tell someone you love them, that has a lot of, weight to it. It's like, okay, so, so that sets up an expectation, you know what I mean? Or like, if you say that you want to marry someone that sets up an expectation, it's like, I guess it's more about being careful with like not expressing every feeling, which I personally struggle with a lot too. Like I always want to express everything, especially if it's a good feeling, but I don't think you can necessarily do that without consequence. Yeah. Those are, those are really good points that I, I agree with you that I think that I think traditionally the love bombing term came from in abusive relationships, sort of the, the act of like winning somebody over and before you start abusing, you know, and then, and then there's like this cycle of abuse that happens where then you, there's a little bit of like a honeymoon stage again where things are better. And then before it gets worse again, and that's like what keeps people in those cycles. I think when we're talking about love bombing, in terms of dating, like, you know, how the term has gotten like watered down. I agree with you that I don't think it's as insidious. Like, I don't think people have malintent or, or, um, or, you know, might not even be like aware that they're doing it, but this, but yeah, the, the idea, but, but even sort of that lack of awareness might even be like a red flag, Mm -hmm. right. To, to just, to kind of like plunge ahead 
so strongly without waiting to see, you know, how you're still getting to know each other and like waiting to see kind of how your relationship develops. Right. Oh, and I hear people say sometimes that like, if they're in a relationship, that's a little bit more of like a slow burn Mm -hmm. that that can feel like sometimes people are, they're like, I want the like firework, you know, magic that can happen when you meet someone and you have that like instant crazy connection. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I'll be like, okay, well, let's think about the past times where you've met someone like that they've all kind of ended in these disasters right so maybe meeting someone that you have a slow burn with is actually okay to like you know take the time to really get to know them and then maybe it does grow into something great yeah i did have a friend once whose whose relationship i really admired and she told me that like when she first met her partner she didn't feel butterflies for them on the first date or the second. Like she was still kind of like unsure and like dating other people. But like the more she got to know them, she was like, this is like a really great person. Like I love spending time around them. And and so that was interesting because I'm always looking for that. Like, and I think I, I always complain about like, I hate like online dating. Like I never feel anything for anyone. But I think sometimes I think like, if I don't want to like reach across the table and like make out with you right now, like we aren't meant to be, you know? (laughs) And that's like where I went into trouble, I think. (laughs) Right. Cause it's like, if someone sort of is like creating that vibe, you know, like that, that might be an indication of like some other issue. You know what I mean? Cause of course you're, of course, when you meet someone, and you have no context around them and you're on a blind date, I think it's it's normal to not be sure yet, you know? Yeah. Got it. Taking no- <laughs> mental notes. Um, so for someone who has abandonment issues, do you have advice for if you can't trust your partner or how to deal with jealousy in a relationship? I think also sometimes the trusting... Like, I feel like that can be a subconscious thing for a lot of people too. like not being able to be like vulnerable with someone. Mm -hmm. So do you have any advice for that? Yeah, I think what you're getting at is like, how do you know when your feelings are sort of an indication that something's wrong versus Mm -hmm. like it's more of a personal your own thing to kind of like deal with. Right. Because I think that. Yeah. Like, I think. I think jealousy is it's interesting because it gets I think it gets normalized in a lot of like heteronormative spaces in mm-hmm. in terms of like people reacting to jealousy in like really toxic ways, you know. But jealousy itself is sort it's it's like all emotions it's kind of like neutral. Mm-hmm. Um there's harmful ways of like responding to it. Mm-hmm. There's helpful ways of responding to it. And sometimes jealousy is, it can be, um, like, I think in, in the, like, you know, the ethical non-monogamy world, mm-hmm. it's seen as like this, almost like this, like sign of immaturity if you're experiencing jealousy. But I think sometimes jealousy can be an indication that there's like boundaries being crossed. Mm-hmm. So I think it's always, regardless of whether this is something that your partner's not doing anything wrong, and this is sort of your own relationship to um, yourself and, and, and sort of feeling like, you know, like scarcity in, in like, like yes. love, there's a scarcity mindset about love, regardless of it's that, or if it's like, you know, I'm, 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 my jealousy is trying to tell me that my partner's not respecting my boundaries. 
it's always helpful to like have some self-reflection before acting. Yeah, I think like I've struggled a lot with jealousy in relationships, like me being jealous and people being jealous of me. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, But I think it definitely is that scarcity thing where I'm like, there's not like I always feel, which is, again, something I'm working on. Um, so afraid of like losing the love that this person is offering. I think from a core belief of like, I don't deserve it. So like, I'm probably going to lose it. Mm -hmm. And so then I feel like there's a scarce amount anyway. And when someone else is like threatening to take that away, um, I get freaked out and it's hard because it's like, there's been so many instances in the past where I have been right about something like that. Like, Oh, then that person like hit on my partner or like, lied or did something messed up and then crossed a boundary like and so then it's like okay I, I was right about it last time and and but something that helped me was like yeah asking myself like do I genuinely trust this person or not and like that's really the issue like do I trust my partner or not and then also like yeah like taking a walk and like calling someone or like texting a friend um, is this a rational thought that I'm having? Or like, is this something I should bring up? Yeah, even just recognizing that this may be something that I don't need to bring up or that I, yeah. or that I like is maybe something I can navigate, like I can bring somewhere else or like, yes. you know, that's, I mean, I think even that is helpful in recognizing. Because I think where people run into trouble is when it's like a, I'm feeling this way, so that must mean my partner's doing something wrong. Yeah, and I think that's something I struggle with, with like, I'm feeling this way. So we have to talk about it. Like I'm always that way where I'm like, okay, we need to talk about this, about everything over and over again, instead of just like choosing your battles as people say, or like just sitting with it and like thinking about it till the next day or something. Right. Yeah. I think that monogamous people can still learn a lot from ethical non-monogamy, even if you, even if it's not for you. And even if you never, dive into ethical non-monogamy there's there's a lot of really helpful tools for navigating jealousy and just like you know navigating relationships in general but um i really like the book the ethical slut i've heard a lot about that and they and they have a bunch of exercises for what to do when you're feeling jealous i've also heard some good things about i think it's just called the jealousy workbook where you can you know write write down what you're feeling and it tells you like what to do and all that. Um, But one of the things from the ethical slut that I like is it's, you come up with 10 things that your partner could do to reassure you. Mm -hmm. And it, it can't be just like, love me more. Right. It has to be something really specific, like bring me a flower or something like that. (laughs) 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 And so that, you know, you can still ask for reassurance from your, like just because you might be able to hold space for I'm feeling jealous. I'm recognizing my partner's not doing anything wrong. Right. So I'm not going to like blame them. Right. But That's I can, mindfulness thing. yeah, I'm just having a feeling. Yeah. But I can still, I can still communicate to them how they can help me with this feeling, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. That's so interesting. And I'm buying that book and I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be doing my jealousy workbook. <laughs> I'm going to be bringing my jealousy workbook on dates and that's going to be a red flag. Um, Okay. Actually, speaking of that, what is the difference between open relationships and ethical non-monogamy? Good question. So I think of ethical non-monogamy being the umbrella term. And then within that, there's lots of different subtypes. And I think of open relationships 
as being a subtype polyamory, as okay. being a subtype swinging, as being a subtype. I think most people use the term open marriage or open relationship to describe that the, just there's some sort of an arrangement where partners can hook up with other people, but it's like just sex okay. versus polyamory is when you have more than one like loving relationship. Like you might have two boyfriends or, oh or there might be a, a thruple, like three people dating each other. But it's mm -hmm. like the idea that you can have more than one like loving emotional connection that may or may not include sex. Mm -hmm. Versus like in the more open category, you know, a couple might have an agreement that like when we're if you're out of town and you meet someone you want to hook up with. Great. But like right. it's just sex. Right. Speaking of scarcity mindset, whenever I hear about people in like open relationships, having multiple relationships, I'm like, great. I don't even have one. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting. Um, OK, this is my final question that I just thought of. And just improvising. Do you think, because this is something we've talked about on the podcast a lot, do you think there's any truth to stereotypical games, quote unquote, that people play when dating? Mm. Meaning, like, should you not sleep with someone on the first date? Should you wait to text back? Should you play hard to get? Should you um, pretend you don't want commitment and then really you do? Not speaking from personal experience, but. <laughs> But is there any truth to that stuff or or is it just like if you want to be in a relationship, like the right person won't care if you text back right away yeah, or whatever? I think that what you just said really nailed it. I think it's like so tempting when you're in the dating world to buy into those games. But I think it, it you kind of end up being the one who gets like burned mm -hmm. in the long run. Right. Um, yeah. Because you haven't been authentic in sort of communicating what you want. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think, if, I think it's, you know, um, I think everyone does it to some extent, right. In the beginning. And, and I don't think that that's a, you know, a, a means you're doomed or something if you do it in the beginning, but then you get to a place like fairly early on with that. If you start dating that person where you can be more like your authentic self, I think that's great. But I think people run into trouble when that, when you're still sort of, you're committed, you're in the relationship, but you're still playing the games, right? Yeah. And do you have any final thoughts to share? <laughs> do you want to promote anything? I guess, I guess my plug would be to, <laughs> to, if you're having a sex concern, to look for a certified sex therapist in your area. There's the American Association for sex educators, uh, mm -hmm. counselors, and therapists, ASECT for short. And they, if you go to their website, you can find the directory of all the certified sex therapists in the world. So I guess that's my plug is if you're having some sort of sexual concern, you don't have to, you know, navigate it on your own. Love that. Well, thanks for giving us so much of your time. And you're welcome, listeners.
Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Do you love fashion? Do you love getting compliments on how well you're dressed? Are you always seeking the latest trends? Then we're talking to you. BostonProper.com is your fashion destination and the only place to go for all those nods, head turns, and new styles. No matter the day, season, or occasion, Boston Proper has what you're looking for. Sophisticated, confident clothing designed to flatter and get noticed. So visit BostonProper.com now and start creating your perfect wardrobe. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else.